Good morning and happy Sabbath to you. Welcome to Sabbath Breakfast with Mike Johnson and Kathy Boldo. You know, I was reading um, Matthew chapter 11. And listen, if you've got your Bible handy, just turn to that as well. And it's from verse 20 down through to 24. Can you can you read that for us, please, Kathy? Um, because something just jumped out at me and I thought I'd just share it. Um, with the listener this morning. Matthew chapter 11, um, verses 20 down to 24. Then Jesus criticized the cities. Is that the right passage? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he did most of his miracles because the people did not change their lives and stop sinning. He said, how terrible for you, Chorazin. How terrible for you, Bethsaida. If the same miracles I did in you had happened in Tyre and Sidon, these people would have changed their lives a long time ago. They would have worn rough cloth and put ashes on themselves to show they had changed. But I tell you, on the judgment day, it will be far better for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be lifted up in heaven? No, you will be thrown down to the depths. If the miracles I did in you had happened in Sodom, its people would have stopped sinning and it would still be a city today. But I tell you, on the judgment day, it will be better for you than Sodom. Mm. It, it caused me to think. It caused me to think in the sense that uh, God has done so many great and miraculous things in these cities. And there weren't secret uh, incidents. Mm-hmm. And yet these cities did not repent. And for the Lord to say, if what I did here in Capernaum, a city which is exalted in heaven, if I had done that in Sidon or, or, or um, Sodom, they would still been around because those cities were destroyed because of their um, sinfulness. So it just shows me that God has done wonderful things, miracles in my life, and yet I still mess about. I'm still not taking him seriously or being consistent with my relationship with him. I don't know. What what do you what do you think about that? Well, sometimes it's very it's easy to take God for granted if you've got Mm. faith. Mm. Um, Because there's 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 a belief that God is present. God is there. He's working. And sometimes because as a person of faith, you're thinking God is working just for me or just for my kind. And in that particular process, you can just think, well, he's working for me. I'm a believer, so I can actually do almost what I want to do. And, you know, God is loving, God is kind, God is forgiving. So he's just going to say, it's okay. And, and, you know, part of our relationship with God is that there is, I would say, when I say mutual benefit, it's not just us saying to God, you do all this stuff for me. God the sugar daddy in the sky. But actually, I need to do something in return. And it's not about my works, mm. but it's out of love yes. that I, I respect and and care for, for um, other people. I respect and love God and demonstrate that care and love mm. and respect. Mm. And it's not just simply because I want something in return. It's because it's part of the relationship. And I think when we start to take God for granted and think, well, I deserve this and he deserves to do for me um, and I can do what I want and he will just accept anything. It doesn't work that way. In a relationship, Mm. it doesn't work that way. Even if the relationship is a relationship with a parent and a child, if it's a relationship with a teacher and a child, um, husband and wife, you know, there, there, there has to be some boundaries and there has to be some boundaries of what is acceptable and unacceptable behaviour in that particular relationship. Mm. But often when we're with God, we just, oh, it doesn't matter. God doesn't mind. Mm. And, you know, the other the other lesson it, it taught me is that what God has done for me, I, I need to declare it. I need to show it to others that they could see. Because I said to myself, wow, so look how many people have lost their lives or missed out on the kingdom of God because they didn't hear or see God's goodness. And here I am receiving it and not doing anything Mm. about it. 
Ooh, listener, what do you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts. And that's why I'm encouraging you this morning. Text me if God has done anything for you. Let's declare it now that others can hear what God is doing because it's as we declare what God has done, others will see and they will come to trust God. We can preach all day long, but if we show what God has done, that is more effective. I can't prove God to you, but I can prove to you what he has done in my life. Just in the same passage we were reading earlier on, it said, um, Matthew 11, verse 28, it says, Mm. Come to me, all of you who are tired and of heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Oh, wow. What is that rest like? Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest. What is he doing? What is he going to do for us? I'm going to give you rest. Well, you know, we can have lots of heavy loads, you know, whether it's health problems, whether it's financial burdens, whether it's just the daily grind that, that comes along and we feel this is overwhelming, whether it's, you know, difficult spouses, whether it's sitting in traffic. God says, come to me, approach me, talk to me. Um, and you're probably tired and fed up. Give me your burdens and I will give you rest. And that rest feels amazing because you know that you're in God's care. It's like, you know, um, as a child comes and lies on on you and just feels that kind of security. That's the kind of thing that, you know, as adults, we even need that security to lie down on somebody's shoulder and just feel that kind of peace. I think God is offering that to us. You know, come on to me, all you who are tired and give me your burdens and I will give you rest. So I need to do, I need to I need to investigate a little bit further. What we're saying then is, uh, we say to him, Lord, these are the issues in my life right now. Mm-hmm. They're too much. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give them up to you. Mm-hmm. In other words, I'm not going to worry about them anymore. Yeah, but that's really hard. That's so, what I'm saying. So, that's why you know that, I need to go into that. that. That's not a see that. It's like saying, you know, you've got some of your family who's sick and you're saying to them, God, I'm not going to worry about this. But sometimes it can even come across as I don't care Mm. because I'm not worried about this. God's got it. So so it's a very, to me, it's a fine balance between saying, I know that you've got, you've got a plan that's worked out. I can't see the plan. So I'm going to leave that plan to you. Sometimes, I'm talking from personal experience, that is just, it feels almost nigh impossible. And we now have a special guest. We do. We have a special guest in the studio with us who looks a lot brighter and breezy than either myself and Mike. <laughs> Serena, good morning. Good morning, Cathy. Good morning, Mike. And good morning, Adventist London. Uh, um, Serena, what time did you get up to get here? Um, I think it was about quarter to five this morning. Serena comes from all the way across South London, so we thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Serena, tell us about yourself. I mean, I met you a couple of years ago, and you always were so bright and and cheerful and breezy (laughs) and and young-looking, and you have six children, don't you? I do indeed, yes. Wow. They're from, range from the age of 24 to... 24 to nine months. Wow, wow, wow. And so you're a very busy mum? Definitely very busy. They are all very unique children. They all have various and different skill sets. I've got one who loves to act and she she's in various different shows and yeah, she's doing really, really well. I've got one who is a computer and math whiz. He's taught himself how to code and he's also a literary connoisseur he's in a writing academy Mm. he's had poems published in a book Mm -hmm. and then I have an 18 year old who wants to set up her own business she makes drinks various um she says Caribbean drinks Mm -hmm. and um I have a very very um excitable (laughs) one-year-old that's putting it politely and I also have a 24-year-old wow yes and of course I've got my my nine-month-old miracle boy Jemiah Lee and that's what we're going to talk about this morning Jemiah Lee so tell me um 
you got pregnant, you know, um, what happened during the pregnancy? Was it what first alerted you to any problems? I was 12 weeks pregnant and I was at the hospital for a routine scan. And during the scan, I looked at the image and I saw that the baby's mouth looked very unusual, very strange. Mm -hmm. I've had five children prior mm -hmm. and his profile just looked very strange to me. So it's something that I raised with the consultant and um, he decided to, to put me through for some blood tests, etc. Mm -hmm. And those results came back showing that I was at high risk of carrying a child with either trisomy 21, 18 or 13. Okay, can you explain that to us a little bit? So, to be honest, at that time, I was very unfamiliar with mm -hmm. those disorders. Mm -hmm. I, I knew that trisomy 21 was Down syndrome. Um, I've worked with a number of children with Down syndrome in my time. And I had some familiarity with trisomy 18, which is Edwards syndrome but I'd never heard of trisomy 13. And it was explained to me that it's a chromosome disorder. So we have 23 pairs of chromosomes. Mm -hmm. And with trisomy 13, what happens is that chromosome 13 splits in three mm -hmm. instead of two. Mm -hmm. And this causes problems throughout every cell in the body. Most babies with this condition will either die in utero or shortly after birth. And of course, when I was given this information, it was it was heart wrenching. It was heartbreaking. Um, I then I was then offered an amniocentesis, mm -hmm. which is where they put a needle through my abdomen and draw out some of the amniotic fluid, and they use that to test to see the chromosomes mm -hmm. and to confirm whether this is the case or not. So we went ahead, we had that test done. And on August the 16th at 9.35 a.m. 2017, we got the phone call from the geneticist and it was confirmed that our son had trisomy 13. So you get the phone call. What goes through your mind? You have five children already. They are all normal. To, to use it for you want of a better word what goes through your mind it's on the phone what go, are, are you with your husband are you on your own so it was my son's sleepover because it was actually his birthday mm -hmm. he was it was his 12th birthday at the time so we had lots of 12 year old boys around mm -hmm. and we had gone into the kitchen to receive this phone call that we had been anticipating and our hearts just broke. We just held on to each other. We cried. It was incredibly emotional, incredibly emotional. Um, I just, I didn't know what to do. And of course, because we had the sleepover, mm -hmm. it was the situation where we had to just compose ourselves, mm -hmm. dry your eyes and get back out there and deal with the children. And, you had the tests when you were pregnant and so on. They were suspect. Um, did they advise you at any time to say, look, this is very likely to happen. We, su we, we suggest you do this, you terminate or anything like that? Yes. So we had a meeting with the geneticist um, once the results had come in. And we were told that most people with this chromosome disorder do terminate and we were also given the option to terminate at any point during the pregnancy so if at nine months we had decided to terminate then we were permitted to do so because the disorder is so severe and apparently the quality of life is so limited it is deemed as a life-limiting condition and because of that the the option to terminate is is there for you at any point it was it wasn't overtly said to to terminate mm -hmm. although it was heavily suggested as the the most practical and um sensible thing to do mm. we were told to think about the fact that 
there were five other children to consider, the impact that it would have on us as a family. And with all of these things said, I actually took that advice and I had made the decision in my own mind to terminate. We're here this morning with Serena Pascal, who's talking about her faith journey with her, especially with her youngest child, Jemai Lee. Before the break, you talked about the fact that the doctors had said to you that you should terminate and you said you thought about it. Why did you think about it? What made you think, I want to terminate this child? Because I know how much you love children. The reason why I had made the decision to terminate was because I didn't want my child to suffer. Mm -hmm. It was explained to me that if the baby didn't die in utero and was born, it, as they always refer to him as, would either die moments after birth if it didn't die during the labour. So that must be really hard for you because they're not even given it an identity. It's just a thing. Yeah. Oh, it was tough. Mm. It was tough. They um. They explained to us that the baby would definitely suffer. That it would never toilet itself. It would never grow up. It would never have a normal quality of life. It would require lots and lots of medical intervention if it did survive. And the longest it may live for would be up to two months or in very, very rare cases up to a year. But that was the exception and not the rule. And I think with with all of that presented to me, I didn't want to put my family, my other children or myself through that experience. And I was scared. I was afraid I, it was the biggest thing that I've ever experienced, the biggest thing, the biggest decision that I'd ever made. And I didn't want to terminate, but I felt that it was the right thing to do. So during that time, um, you spoke to your husband, did you speak to friends about it or anyone? I spoke to a number of people. I spoke to my husband first and foremost. He did not support the idea of termination. It wasn't what he wanted. However, he wanted to support me in the decisions that I made. He did say to me that he he doesn't know how we would recover from that mm-hmm. if that was the decision that we made. However, he would do whatever it took to try and be supportive, mm-hmm. but it wasn't what he wanted. And so... What changed your mind? What changed my mind was obviously what my husband said resonated deeply with me. They didn't know how you'd recover, the relationship would recover. Yeah. And also I had contacted a Facebook group Mm -hmm. dedicated to Trisomy 13. And I didn't know prior to seeing this group, prior to being involved with this group, that some children did actually survive. The way it was presented is that it was inevitable. The baby would die. But being a part of this group, and I was a silent member for a very Mm -hmm. long time, just observing, I saw that there were babies who were nine months, 10 months, a year. There was even a child who was 16. And so I had a very different perspective. And... um, A member of the group actually contacted me Mm -hmm. and she she explained to me that there is hope. She said to me to trust in God. Wow. She said that God chose me to be the mother of this child for a reason. Mm. And she encouraged me to take that bold step and to just go forward with the pregnancy. So what was your relationship with God like before you had that conversation with a lady? How did you feel towards God? I had moments of anger. Why? Why me? But then those thoughts were always challenged with, well, why not me? Mm-hmm. There's so many people that have gone through so many experiences 
terrible experiences in this world, so why not me? My relationship with God, I was still very faithful. Mm -hmm. I believed that no matter what decision I made, that God was going to be with me. But there was a level of guilt with regard to the thought of termination. Mm. That was always in the back of my mind too. And the reason being, we were told that the process of termination, that prior to 22 weeks, they would give me some tablets and then an injection and I would deliver the baby and the baby would be dead. After 22 weeks, they would have to inject the baby's heart via my abdomen, stop his heart, mm. and then I would have to give birth. And that whole, that process, the thought of doing that to my child was was heart-wrenching. It was heart-wrenching. Mm. Can, can I, from what little I managed to glean, um, can you just give some perspective to the listener about the physical uh, condition or appearance of your son? Because I believe this, this condition means that he doesn't have eye, eye, eye sockets or eyeballs. Or Give us a, an so overview. The condition presents in many different ways for different babies. There are some who are quite significantly deformed with perhaps one eye, um, cleft palates, cleft lips, some have no nose, some have missing mouths or limbs. They're, they're all very different. For my son, he was also diagnosed with a separate condition, which is bilateral anathalmia, which means he was born without eyes. So physically, he looks like a very typical baby very typical baby. The only difference that you may notice on him is he has six fingers and six toes on Whoa. each hand and each foot. Other than that, when you look at him, you will not see a difference. Mm. He just looks like a baby who is sleeping. Mm. So I'm going to go back a little bit to you thinking about the termination, then thinking, no, I don't want to do this. And then the idea that this woman said to you that God shows you. Yeah. And that that's actually, that is very powerful because it's like God's chosen me to bear this difficulty for a reason. Um, what were your emotions going on there that God had chosen you for that? I describe this woman's words as hugs off a page. Mm. I found her words comforting, reassuring, and I really believe her words were a direct message from God, mm. reassuring me that he would be with us, that he would take us through this journey, no matter what the outcome, he will be with us, and that we needed to trust him. And the scripture that always comes to mind when I think about my son, when I think about this journey, is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and yeah. 6. To trust in the Lord all your, all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And I hold on to that. So once that decision had been made to go through with the pregnancy, it was like a massive burden had just been lifted mm. off my shoulders. I actually felt free Prior to that, I was getting chest pains, headaches. I was feeling physically sick, drained, tired, crying all the time. I was an emotional mess. Mm. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't have the energy or the mindset to deal with the other children. But once that decision had been made, I decided to just trust God, to put everything into him, to just let go and let God deal with this situation wow and that is exactly what we were talking about this morning in the passage of scripture in Matthew 11 um, verse 28 when we said 
come to me all you labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And oh, wow, wow, wow. I, I, I'm i moved. I'm moved by that. We're going we're gonna to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to you about the last few months of your pregnancy. The pressures that you experienced in the medical profession and how you felt and what you did and how your faith had to kick in at that time. We're here this morning with Serena Pascal, who's telling us about her faith journey. Um, Serena, before the break, we were just talking about the fact that you made a decision that you were going to keep your child and how the burdens lifted from you. So around about what time was that in your pregnancy that you made that decision? This was... I think I was 24 weeks. No, that's a lie. 22 weeks. Mm -hmm. It was 22 weeks because the pressure was on. Mm -hmm. It was, if I didn't make a decision by 22 weeks, it meant that they would go through the process of injecting the baby's heart, Mm -hmm. which I didn't want. Mm -hmm. I felt that if I was to go through with the termination, that it would have been easier to do it through having the tablets mm-hmm. and giving birth rather than them stopping the baby's mm-hmm. heart. So I was 22 weeks when the decision was made and it's the best decision that I ever made. So, so now you've made that decision, you decide I'm going to fight for this child. Yes. Right, and so how do you go about that? So we were told that... If the baby was born not breathing, mm-hmm. the hospital would not intervene. They would not resuscitate him. There would be nothing. They would just allow nature to take its course, were the words that we used. Mm-hmm. They would give us the baby, they'd make him comfortable mm-hmm. and just allow him to die in our arms. We were told that we could have all our family there with us. We could be in a special room. We could be in a garden. But for me, once that decision had been made, once I knew God was with us, to allow my baby to die and to not have any intervention was not an option. Mm -hmm. It was not an option. So we had to fight for them to reverse that decision. We had to fight for them to decide that there would be medical intervention. And so it was through the Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Another member of that group, she supported me with writing a birth plan. And we stated every type of intervention that we wanted. And we presented every scenario. And um, it was through that birth plan. In fact, I had, I think it was three of my friends that also came to my home. Mm-hmm. So this lady on Facebook, she's actually in California. Mm-hmm. She's in America. And um, I had three of my friends, my wonderful sisters, I call them. Mm-hmm. They came over and they helped me to put together this birth plan. And when I presented it to my consultant, to the geneticist, to the nurses and to the doctors, they were actually blown away as to how thorough it was. Mm. And they agreed. They agreed to allow the intervention. Mm -hmm. And so it transpired that when my son was born, he wasn't breathing. And thankfully, with that plan in place, he then received the intervention that was needed. We were, however told that if he didn't start to breathe within a few days that they were going to switch off his machine and we would just have to accept that it's because of his condition and there is nothing that they could do. It was explained to us that the consultants and the doctors also have a code of ethics that they adhere to and if they didn't think it was morally right to continue to support this child they had the right to withdraw themselves from treatment. 
that very interesting if they didn't think it was morally right to let yeah. a child live okay and of course I went on my knees mm-hmm. and I pleaded and I prayed and I pleaded and I prayed and I remember it was day six of my son's life I got up one morning and I just felt like it was like the spirit of God was upon me and I started praying and I put a message out on my Facebook mm-hmm. that today is the day my son is going to breathe on his own. Yeah, I think I remember that. I, re- I remember saying, Lord, I decree and declare this in your name. Lord, do not make me look stupid <laughs> because I'm putting this out mm-hmm. there. You need to come through for mm-hmm. me, Lord. You need to come through. Today is going to be the day that my son breathes on his own. And it was 11 o'clock. I walked into the neonatal intensive care unit. The nurse was standing there, so excited to see me. And she said, look, look. And I looked, all the machines had gone. She said, he has started to just breathe on his own. We don't know how, we don't know why, but he has started to breathe on his own. And all I could say to her is, this is God. Mm -hmm. I showed her the video that I had done mm-hmm. and I said to her, this is God. I prayed this in today. Mm. I decreed and declared it in the name of the Lord mm. and God has done it. Mm. And in that moment, I started to get confident. I said, Lord, I'm going to ask for another miracle. In <laughs> fact, Lord, I'm going to ask you for seven yep. big miracles. And God did not fail us. My son required transfusions for platelets. Mm-hmm. And I prayed, I said, Lord, let this be another miracle. Lord, please, please let his platelet count just be stable. So was that miracle two? This was miracle two. Mm -hmm. God did it. My son's blood sugars were incredibly erratic. They were just so unstable. Every single day, throughout the day, sometimes hourly, he'd have to be pricked in his heels. If you saw his heels, they were covered, covered in needles, needle marks, sorry. I get really upset when I think about it because it was so painful to see your child just suffer like that. And I prayed. I said, Lord, please, please, please could regulate his blood sugars. They would be squeezing my son's foot, Mm. taking blood, testing his testing his gases and blood sugars and reporting back we're so sorry we're so sorry and god did it he's so gracious and so merciful god did it as soon as i had prayed that evening they came back and said to us his blood sugars have just regulated he's been stable for the whole day That was miracle number three. Three. Routinely, they check all babies for their hearing. And my son's hearing was tested. And the report was that there was no sound detected, that there was nothing there. I remember saying to the lady, please, can you retest him? Can you come back? Can you please do it again? There is no way that my son is blind and deaf she came back and she retested and again it was no sound detected I cried I cried I called out to God and I said Lord this is so unfair my son is blind he has no eyes and now you're telling me that he's deaf as well I said Lord I cannot accept this No way am I going to accept this. And so again, we put it into prayer. And I decided that there is no way that I'm believing his death. So I would sing to my son. Mm. I would read to my son. I would communicate with my son as though he could hear. The nurses used to think I was crazy. (laughs) They would be teaching me ways to communicate through taps and and um, having cues that using like touch and whatever have you because as far as they're concerned he's deaf and he's blind for me he could hear and he was going to hear 
He had another test done two weeks later and that test revealed that he could hear. Wow. So you've had your four miracles. My fourth miracle. Um, just want to acknowledge a couple of texts that have come in to us. Um, the first one relates back to our um, conversation earlier on about our rest and how do we rest. And uh, this uh, listener says, Hope, had a dreadfully stressful week, had my late um, dad's birthday and had to meet the demands of those who wanted something from or a piece of me. Wow. Sometimes in the midst of our toughest experiences, we forget that God is right there with us. My dad used to say, God is bigger than this, baby girl. Leave it with God. He's got you. He's got this. Leave it. Leave it. Leave it right there. So I embrace and I embrace and bask in the rest and the peace Jesus offers because his response is relax, baby girl. I've got this. He's the supreme almighty God whose heart is filled with nothing but good and greatness for us in his name. Amen. And then just recently, we had another one um, coming here. Um, Supreme Almighty God, message from me. Praising God for Serena, God-given strength and her amazing faith in him. Please give her hugs, a huge hug from me. Love and prayers. That's from Jackie J. Electronic hugs from Jackie J. <laughs> we'll touch her. We'll touch her in your name, Jackie J. We're here with Serena Pascal this morning and we're talking about the miracles. We're on miracle number five now. So what was the fifth miracle that happened with you and your son? Well, the fifth miracle is an amazing testimony. When my son was three days old, mm -hmm. I noticed that he hadn't opened his eyes and I queried this with the doctor. I mean, every day I kept saying, how come he hasn't opened his eyes yet? Like, why hasn't he opened his eyes? And I'd run my fingers along his eyelids and it felt very spongy and, mm -hmm. and very soft. And in my heart, I wondered if perhaps he didn't have any eyes. I mean, I'd never heard of anybody being born without eyes before. But deep down, it was a thought that kept popping into my mind. So I raised this with the nurse and the doctors. And they went ahead and did some tests and the ophthalmologist came back and told us that my son had no eyes whatsoever he reported that there was no optic nerve there was no eye tissue there was no eyeballs there was nothing and for my deep down suspicions to be confirmed in that way again was heartbreaking for me it was a given you're you're born with a nose mouth eyes mm -hmm. you, you just those things just come naturally mm -hmm. so for me it was very very difficult very difficult and um I asked the ophthalmologist, I said, what does that mean? And he said, it means that he just won't ever be able to see. I asked, what, what is his experience? What, what does he see? What, 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 how does he experience the mm -hmm. world? And he said that there is literally nothing. It was likened to the fact that we cannot see through our elbows. Mm -hmm. There's, there's just nothing. And so that was that was devastating. It really was. And this is something that challenged me every single day. I would pray and pray. I spoke to so many people about this as well. And I remember a friend of mine said, Serena, stop crying, stop being upset about it. Pray and ask God to give him eyes. He can give him eyes. And in the back of my head, I thought, yeah, right. Mm. <laughs> Maybe this is just the plan. Maybe this is just how it's supposed to be. And I just have to accept it. 
But again, her words resonated with me and I thought, do you know what? God has been so gracious. He's been so merciful. I'm going to put you to the test, Lord. You can give him eyes. And so I started praying and other people were praying. So many people have been praying. I would receive Facebook messages, WhatsApp messages. I'm praying for your situation. My church is praying. And I really believed that God could give my son eyes. Now, everything that I read, the ophthalmologist told me that eyes cannot grow after birth. This mm. is something that happens in the womb mm -hmm. and it is impossible for it to happen after birth. But again, we put God to the test. And I remember it was August the 20th. Both my son and I had doctor's appointments. It was about 9.20 in the morning. And it's a six minute walk to the surgery from where we live. And as we're walking, I was just praying, Lord, why? It's so unfair, Father. Why has my son <coughs> not got eyes? Why? I get it, Lord, he's blind, but you could have given him eyes and still made him blind. Why Why no eyes? Mm. I said, Lord, but you can do this. All you have to do is say, let Jemai Lee have eyes. You said, let there be light. There was light, Lord. You raised the dead. You've healed hands. You've turned water into wine. You can do this. All you have to do is say the words. And I remember tears were streaming down my face mm. as I was walking. I said, God, just say it. Just say the word. Please just say, let Jemiah have eyes. Let Jemiah have eyes. Lord, please just say it. Just say it. And I was approaching the door of the surgery. I remember just wiping my eyes, composing myself. I walked into the surgery. I booked us in, sat down. My son went in for his appointment and we came back out and we sat in the waiting room waiting for my appointment. And I was just talking to him, playing with him. And then suddenly I saw him start to stretch his left eye, stretch his eyelid. And he had never done that before. He had never ever opened his eyelids before, ever. So we were never able to see what was underneath. Only the ophthalmologist that did the test was able to see that. So he was stretching and I saw something that looked like a shiny black marble. And I thought, no, no, no way, no. Have I seen an eye? Is that, is that an eye? Am I, am I going crazy? What, what, what's this? And then he did it again, a bit more. And I saw an eye. Oh, <laughs> wow. Like, oh, my goodness. That's an, that's an eye. That's an eye. And I took my phone out and I started to record. And I looked around me and the doctor that had just seen him walked in. And I said, doctor, doctor, he's got an eye. There's an eye there. There's an eye. They said he's got no eyes. There's an eye. There's an eye. And the doctor looked at me and he's like, okay, that's, that's, <laughs> that's wonderful. Mm. That's nice. And I was like, no, you don't get it. He's got an eye. He called his patient that he was taking in. And I said to her, look, 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 can you see, come please look, can you see, can you see this? And she said, yes, I see. I said, but he, I was told he has no eyes. That's an eye, that's an eye. You can see it, right? You can see it. She said, yes, I can see it. This was an older Caribbean lady. She said, I pray in Jesus' name. He's going to open the other one too. He's going to have two eyes. He's going to have two eyes. And I, I was just, I was in a state of confusion. Mm. <laughs> but immense joy I, I just could not believe what I was seeing and I went into my appointment and completely forgot what I was there for I started telling the doctor like look he's got eyes and can you see he did it again and she was able to see and it was like thank you God I said this is a miracle I said to her, I was just praying about this I was just praying about it and and he's got eyes like God has just given him eyes and she said to me well it has to be a miracle. There's no other explanation to this. And all the doctors, all the nurses in the hospital that my son is very familiar with because we spent a lot of time mm. in the hospital, when they found out that he had eyes, everybody was astounded. They've all gone back into his notes and read through his notes and seen the report for themselves and they've come back and they've said to me, I'm so confused. I don't understand this, but we can see it for ourselves. He has eyes. Wow. 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 That's just 
I'm I'm sat here listening and doing stuff in the background, but I'm intensely listening to you and I'm going back to that Facebook group and that lady who said to you, mm -hmm. God chose you. Yes. And uh, we've had five miracles so far that would not have been heard if it wasn't for you. He, he chose you because he knew he had confidence, he had faith in you that you would give glory and honor to him mm. for working these miracles for you. Wow. Um, somebody has texted in as well. Hope your story was mentioned uh, in a sermon by Ashley Bloom last week. Praise the Lord, my lovely. Um, I was so inspired. God bless you and continue to continue to share. That's from Angela McFarlane in Ashford in Kent. So, Thank you, Angela. Yes. So, you've had miracle number six. Is that number six or number five? That was number five. I just want to acknowledge a couple of texts here. Hope, what an amazing story, and I can't imagine how you felt, but God was with you. I want to come into the studio to hug you. More hugs again. This from Barbara. <laughs> Thank um, you so courage, much. faith, and stay in the course. Love always. Wow, wow. So, Serena, tell us about your sixth miracle. Our sixth miracle. My son has multiple complications, one of which is respiratory problems. Um, he often has apneas, which is breath holding. So he will stop breathing and he will get very rigid and then completely floppy. And this can last anywhere between seven to 20 seconds. There's times where he has to be resuscitated, brought back, paramedics come, etc., etc. So his respiratory issues have been ongoing. Mm -hmm. On this particular day, I'd noticed that his breathing seemed a bit laboured. So he hadn't had a typical apnea, but his breathing was very laboured. So his work his, and rate of breathing was quite, quite hard. And I thought, OK, let me just watch him, see how he goes and um, see if it improves. Um, but within about 20 minutes, it, it had actually worsened. Mm -hmm. And it was quite a rapid decline. So I called the ambulance. The paramedics came. We were taken straight to hospital. And I'd called my husband, told him what had happened. And he immediately met me at the hospital. We were told at that point that he needed to be intubated, which means they would put a tube down into his mouth, down into his throat to support his breathing. Now, because he also has multiple issues with his heart, mm. this could be life-threatening for him. And there was the fear that he could go into cardiac arrest. And if he did, once again, they said that they would not intervene and they would not administer any form of medical intervention to bring him back. And... To be sat there with your son, struggling to breathe, mm -hmm. and to hear these words was again devastating. And we have had miracles that we could draw back on, but still, I broke down in mm. that, that room and I cried. We were told to take photos, to um, give him hugs and kisses. So you, they were thinking that this was it? Yeah, they called the palliative care team. I refused to speak to them. They they asked them to come down. Again, I refused. I said, I do not want to see them. I do not want to speak to them. My son is going to live. We were put into a side room. We were not allowed to be with him during the intubation process. Mm. And I fell on my knees. And I cried out to God. In fact, there was one point where I was flat on the floor, crying out to God, Lord, please spare my son's life, Lord. Mm. Lord, you've done it before. You can do it again. Spare my son's life, please, Lord. 
guide their hands. Let him survive. Lord, my son is not dying. You have not brought him this far to take him away. This is not it. There will be a miracle. And in Jesus' name, I decree and declare it. Lord, there will be another miracle. You will do this for him. Please, Lord. I pleaded and I pleaded and I pleaded. I did not stop praying the entire time. The entire time. That knock on the door came. And I stood up. And the doctor said to us, it was fine. The intubation was successful and they were taking him to the pediatric intensive care unit. But we were not out of the woods. He had a diagnosis of pneumonia and chronic lung disease. And it ended up being a six week admission altogether. How old was he at this time? This was in June okay. of this year. So and, how old was he? When was he born? He was born in January. Okay, so he was about six months or so. And um, God did it again. He did it again. Once again, we had to, to really fight for our son. Really fight for him. I remember I contacted somebody from my Facebook group because... Everything was so negative. It was, this may be it. And if this happens, then we're not willing to do this. And I was given some advice from a doctor in America. And he advised me of some things to write. And it was about four o'clock in the morning. And I hand wrote about seven pages of things that we needed to be done, what we expected to be done. And um, this caused a lot of controversy in the hospital, mm -hmm. a lot of controversy. <laughs> a meeting was called and it was good that this happened because it gave us the opportunity to raise our concerns. One of the concerns that we had is every single time we went to A&E, it was always a negative experience. It was always, this could be, it. we are not going to do this, we are not going to do that. So at that point, we were able to speak to the doctors and say, look, we do not want that experience. Our son deserves to be treated. He deserves treatment. When we bring him into A&E, we are not bringing him because he has trisomy 13. We are bringing him because he's in respiratory distress. That is what we want treated. And it transpired that there was apologies and they decided that <coughs> he would receive the required treatment. And so... God was gracious, God was merciful, and after six weeks, we were able to bring our son back home. And he is doing so well. He now has two teeth. Ooh. He's rolling over. Mm -hmm. He's making lots of babbling sounds, blowing raspberries. I walk into the room and he's excited. His little feet start kicking, he's smiling. He definitely knows his mummy. <laughs> and he's just doing amazingly well. I'd like to share the morning message um, with you this morning from uh, Pastor um, Wesley Knight and on let not your heart be troubled. John 13 through John 17, those chapters in the Gospel of John are all one conversation. We are at a disadvantage because when we read our Bibles, there are chapter divisions. So we just read through John chapter 13, and if you flip the page or look across the page, there's John 14. But remember, in the original Bible, there is no chapter divisions. This is one single conversation from John 13 through 17 that happens at the Last Supper on that night. If you're still with me, say yes. So when Jesus tells him, you are going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, the way we read it is that's the end of chapter 13, and then we have to turn to chapter 14. But if you read it the original way, there's power. Because where after Jesus says, you will deny me, then he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Hallelujah. You, you see what Jesus is doing? He just told him how he's going to fail, but then he tells them, but let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house 
are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, we know this as the promise of the second coming. But understand that this promise of the second coming is in the context of the disciples' failure. Mm. They cannot be divorced from one another. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Judas just left out to betray me. But let not your heart be troubled. See, you might have missed something in the text. Remember when Peter asked him, Lord, why can't I come? Jesus says, you can't come now, but you will come after. Then he prophesies his fall and his failure. You will deny me three times. Then he turns around and gives him a promise. You want to know where I'm going, Peter? Don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I, well, I know you're going to fail me. I'm going to go ahead of your failure, and I'm going to prepare a place for disciples that deny me. Mm. I'm going to prepare a place for, for Thomas who's going to doubt me. I'm going to prepare a place for James and John who were just discussing who was going to, and playing politics, who was going to sit on my right hand and who's going to sit on my left hand. Guess what? I've got a place there for you too because my, mm, thank you Jesus, my grace goes ahead of your failure. And I'm preparing a place for people, for disciples who fall every now and again, for disciples who deny every now and again, for disciples who lose strength every now and again. Hallelujah tonight that he goes to prepare a place for people like you and people like me. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, I'm going and I've got, my father's house has got many mansions, but Peter, even though you're going to deny me, I'm going to prepare your room. And you know the way to where I'm going, Jesus says. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? How do we get to this kingdom? How do we get to your father's house? Jesus says, have I been with you this long and you haven't figured it out? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You don't get to the Father unless you come through me. Now remember, he's talking to disciples who he has trained over the last three and a half or so years, and they still haven't figured out that the truth they were learning was not simply teachings about Jesus, or teachings from Jesus, but the truth they were supposed to be learning was Jesus himself. Wow, powerful, very powerful indeed. We're going to fail him, but he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm looking at that in a totally different way after that now. And I, I like the, the, the passage, let not your heart be troubled, especially in the light of we've been talking to Serena this mm. morning. I've had two text messages in as well. I've had one in um, from Des, who says, Serena's journey of faith is unparalleled in our day. Only she who feels it knows. Who am I to question this obvious child of faith in the Creator? Thank you, Serena, for sharing your faith journey. I am humbled. And I've had another one here from Jackie Christopher who says, What a blessed and inspiring interview this morning. God is indeed able. God bless you, Serena, and family as you go through this journey of discovery with your son. And one more, I hope. Please pray for parents who are fighting the medical profession for their children's lives, just like Serena. So we'll add that to our prayer, uh, prayer, prayer request this morning, our prayer points. Serena, as we kind of close up this interview, I want to know what this has done for you in your faith journey and your family. Because I know it must be very difficult for the other children and for you and your husband. But what has it done for you in your family and what's it done for your faith? 
this journey has really forced me to literally just let go mm. and trust God. When you are in a situation where you, you have nowhere to turn, your hands are tied, mm -hmm. there's nothing that you can do but turn to God. Mm -hmm. And God has not failed us. He has not failed us. And he's so gracious that he has sent so many people so many people there are days where i may be feeling low or discouraged and i receive a text message or a facebook message that this journey is not just my journey mm. this journey has involved so many people like the list is endless from my parents my aunts my cousins darren's family my husband my children facebook friends school friends <sighs> Jemiah spiritual guardians godparents my church family the list is endless endless there are so many people and i think god has allowed those people into our lives to also help to build that faith so it's definitely a mutual exchange mm. here definitely we have received so much so much love and so much support when my son was in hospital we received a message from somebody who i didn't know very well at the time i hope she doesn't mind me mentioning her tracy delissa mm -hmm. and tracy came to the hospital she bought food she bought drinks she bought prayers and she supported us and since that time, this was very early on when Jemiah was first born, she came. And since then, she has been involved in his life. Every hospital admission, she's there. She's calling. She's in contact in one way or another. Not just Tracy. There's my best friend, Serena. She is there for us continuously. My auntie Audrey, my mum, my dad. There's just so many people. And it has really shown me that God does not leave us. Mm -hmm. He does not forsake us. He will always send somebody, always. It could be a stranger, people that I've not seen in many, many years. I've had friends from my old school who set up a GoFundMe account. Mm -hmm. Just the love, the kindness, the grace, the list is endless i have my my close friendship network my sisters as i call them and they have been an amazing source of strength amazing for both my husband and myself he has his friendship group too so this journey hasn't been a lonesome one not at all it has shown us that there is so much love out there in this world that can sometimes look very negative. Mm. But there's so much to be thankful for, so much. And even in our low moments, I remind myself, the Lord has done this, he's done that, and it picks me up. I've just learned that God is merciful. He is gracious. He is true to his word. And I'm not saying that in every situation that there's always going to be an amazing miracle at the mm -hmm. end of it. I don't know where our journey will end. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that whatever happens, God is with us. At his appointed time, when God decides that this is the end of the road for my son, I know that he will be there with us. But my hope is that my son has many years to come and he will continue to impact lives because he's done an amazing job in his nine months mm -hmm. with me personally. Mm. An amazing job. I look at him and I see God. Serena, as we leave and we close off this session before we go to prayer, <clears throat> speaking to you this morning has drawn me back to a passage in the scriptures in James 5. And it says in James 5, verse 16, and I'm reading from the Message Bible here. The prayer of a person living right with God 
is something powerful to be reckoned with. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. And your story this morning has made me return to that text and believe in it even more powerfully than I did before. Um, Final text, Hope. Please, this is for you, Serena. Please write a book when you have time. (laughs) I will do. There you go. I will do. And please come back at some point and tell us how you're going on the journey because, you know, I I know our listeners are are interested, we're interested, and I know Mike and I this morning have been personally blessed by your testimony. And we want to now pray for you. And um, we'd also like to pray for the other parents who are fighting for their children in whatever ways. You know, and as parents, we never stop fighting for our children from the time they're born. Sometimes the fight is harder, but we never stop fighting for our children. I'd also like to think about the families of people who've been suffering in Indonesia, the hurricane in Florida, the victims of the hurricane in Florida, and the people who have been affected by the storms in England, Wales, Scotland and Ireland as well. And again, this one, pray for the parents who are fighting the medical profession for their children's lives. I'll do that as well. I'd also like to pray for my parents. They are both having birthdays this week. My dad has a special birthday on Thursday, so I'd like to pray for them. And Mike, I'm actually going to ask you to do the prayers this morning. for all the trisomy 13 families those who have their children with them and those who have lost them let us pray father we are so blessed we are so moved by what we've heard today that you're alive and you're a miracle worker and this is what you want to happen lord you want your miracles to be made known that others will hear and come to believe and to put their trust in you. So we thank you for these seven miracles and more that you are working in Serena and their family's life. And I pray, Father God, that through the airwaves, uh, these miracles will have encouraged someone this morning. So we pray for those parents, Lord, who are going through tough decisions, uh, fighting against the medical professions, Lord. Stand up for them, Father God, so that when they look at their notes, they will be dumbfounded and confounded because they cannot see a way how did this happen and the only answer can be it was God we pray for those who are struggling Lord or suffering those who are homeless after these hurricanes and storms oh father God we're great we're grateful we are glad to know you that when these things are happening you will still be around to provide protection We dedicate ourselves to you today. We dedicate this broadcast and this station. You have people who want to hear this saving message. Help us just to present it and let your spirit do his work. So forgive us, Lord, where we've shown a lack of faith in the past, but you've revived us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's it for another Sabbath. God bless. God bless.